Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. Have you run the numbers? Do you have enough money to retire? Well, you're going to want to listen in today as we have Moshe Molesky, Ph.D., who is a tenured professor in the Department of Finance and a member of the graduate faculty of mathematics at York University in Toronto. He has written nine books, published over 60 peer-reviewed studies and over 200 magazine articles, including a featured story in the Wall Street Journal, as well as receiving in 2009 the Lifetime Achievement Award from the U.S.-based Retirement Income Industry Association, even though he was only in his early 40s. So we are excited to have Moshe join us to give us the math and science behind retiring financially secure. Welcome, Moshe. Thank you. It's great to have you as a guest. I know Tony and I have both heard you speak a lot of times before. Recently, we had a guest on the show that talks about Americans, 49% of them aren't even saving for retirement. And I know we've heard you speak several times. What I enjoy is you take the emotions out of things and talk about the math and science and how somebody can help secure their retirement. And with people not saving the way they should, I think we're in a almost a crisis mode. And I think you might be able to shed some light about the math and science and how to prepare for retirement. So we're really glad to have you here. Sure, my pleasure. That was the point of writing the book, so fire away. All right. The book that you wrote is The Seven Most Important Equations for Retirement. Let's just take a couple minutes and talk about what gave you the passion for writing the book. I know you said helping people plan for retirement, but what motivated you to actually write the book? The motivation for this book, and it is a little bit of a different book than normal, both for me and the type of book that you see in personal finance, is that I think that there are too many books out there that are the how-to books when it comes to personal finance. How to invest, how much to save, where should you invest, how do you find a good advisor. And what I want to do is to go through a little bit more of the history and specifically a biography of the key figures in the history of retirement planning to kind of live through them what the important decisions that people face are, as well as some of the milestones that they have in their life around retirement planning. So I really consider this book, even though the word equation is in the title, more of a biography of seven very, very important figures in the history of retirement planning. And who are those figures? Well, to go through them very quickly, the first key person is a fellow by the name of Leonardo Fibonacci. He is uh, very well known amongst traders. Uh, Fibonacci sequences are used for day trading and technical analysis, but Fibonacci also contributed to our understanding of retirement income planning, and I discuss in the book what he did to shed light on that. So he's number one in terms of the seven. Uh, the second person who I discuss in the book who was very, very instrumental in the history of retirement planning is a fellow by the name of Benjamin Gumpertz. He lived about 200 years ago, and he really discovered the laws underlying aging, mortality, and specifically the probabilities of living to various ages. When you're planning for retirement, there's this uncertainty. It's called longevity risk. How long will you live? Will you make it to 90? What are the odds? And he is the key person that taught us and he has still studied today his work on how long to plan for and what the probabilities are. So that's number two. That's Benjamin Gombert. The third person is actually an astronomer by the name of Edmund Haley. 
He lived in the year 1650 to 1740, and he actually, although he spent most of his time in astronomy looking at stars and planets and the comet named after him, he actually discovered the formula for pricing a life annuity, what a pension annuity is worth. He was actually asked by the Royal Society in the UK at the time in England what a pension is worth because government, the king, had promised pensions to people and they didn't quite know what it's worth. And he was the first person to sit down and kind of value Social Security the way we think of it today. So he's number three. The fourth out of the seven is a fellow by the name of Irving Fisher. He is an economist. He lived about 80 years ago. He was a professor of economics at Yale. And he really is the person that put on a foundation, a firm foundation, the idea of inflation rates and how to back out real rates uh, versus nominal rates, which is extremely important in retirement. He also did a lot of research on spending rates and gets to the issue of what's an appropriate spending rate in retirement. How much can you afford to pull out? So he was our number four. Then there are three more. The fifth one is a fellow by the name of Paul Samuelson. He's an economist who actually was a professor at MIT. He was the first American to win a Nobel Prize. He was a Nobel laureate in economics, the first American to do so. And his research and his great contribution was the idea of asset allocation and specifically the proper mix of stocks versus bonds and stocks versus cash, but taking into account the idea of human capital, how much you make, what you earn, and what your potential is, and that how that influences asset allocation. So he was number five. We have two more. The sixth one was Solomon Hubner. He was an insurance economist. He was the person that was instrumental in getting the insurance industry to take a more quantitative approach to how much life insurance you need, specifically how to fine-tune your financial legacy. So that would be number six, Solomon Hubner. And the seventh and final hero, I believe critical person, and the seventh person I cover in the biography, is a mathematician by the name of Andrei Kolmogorov. He lived from 1903 to 1987, and he really is the founding father of modern probability theory. So anytime a financial advisor does a Monte Carlo analysis to see if your plan is sustainable, they really have to thank Andrei Kolmogorov for that work. So those are the seven people that are covered in the book and their research work and the ideas behind their research. Wow. So how did you discover all these people? I mean, that's something you've researched over time. Is that right? I have. This project started about a year ago when I stumbled across one of those seven equations. Actually, it was the one by Irving Fisher. And I was struck by how important that insight was almost 80 years after he had written it down in the 1920s. And I said, wow, that is such an important equation, what he's telling us on how to extract and compute spending rates. And then I said to myself, gee, are there other such equations that are important as well? And who are the discoverers, who are the founding fathers of those equations? And that kind of led to another and another. And about a couple months later, I had discovered seven of them, sent in a manuscript to a book publisher, and a year later, we've got a book. Wow. Now, let's dive a little bit deeper for our listeners. You talked about in the first chapter the concept of how long will my nest egg last? I think that's forefront on everybody's minds today, and a lot of people thinking they can't retire. What do you think the answer to that is? I don't think that it's appropriate to simply tell people you can't retire. I think what people have to do is they have to revise their expectations and perhaps scale back a little bit what they plan to do in retirement and, just as importantly, to stay in the labor force as long as they possibly can. I mean, people really have to understand that the idea of retirement was invented or created in an era where life expectancies were much lower, people weren't living as long, they weren't spending as long in retirement, and the whole idea 
idea of age 65 is just too early in my mind. I know it's hard to tell this to someone who's 64 and looking forward to it, but I think the bottom line is we have to work harder and perhaps work longer in order to be able to finance retirement because interest rates are so low right now and life expectancy has increased so much. Retirement has become very expensive. You can think of it as a commodity or as a good. It goes up and down in price. When interest rates are high and if life expectancy is low, retirement is very cheap. You can consume a lot of it. But right now, the exact opposite is true. We have a lot of volatility in the economy. Interest rates are very low. People are living longer. Retirement is a very expensive good. And like anything else in the supermarket that becomes expensive, you've got to buy less of it. And I think people have to start thinking about just buying less of retirement, which means to scale down, retire later, and to just do less of it, so to speak. Well, let's dive into that because we've kind of let into it the number two equation, which is how long will I spend in retirement? That's obviously the equation that comes down to Benjamin Gompertz, Gompertz's Law of Mortality. What he enabled us to do is to write down a very, very simple mathematical expression for the probability of living to various ages. And when you sit down and you do this kind of a calculation, you realize that the odds of one member of a couple, possibly both members, making it to 90 are very, very high. So what this is telling us is we really have to plan for a much longer time horizon than we anticipated. The biggest mistake people make is they think of life expectancy. They say, well, life expectancy is 85, so I should plan for 20 years of retirement. And that is just an average. There are people that live much less than that, people that live much longer than that. And what Benjamin Gompertz taught us and what this chapter is about is the uncertainty, the variability of the length of life. It's just like talking about the stock market. We know that in the long run, yes, stocks should outpace inflation, but in the short run, they're very volatile. And the exact same thing applies with longevity risk as well. Yes, you're expected to live a long time, but there's a lot of uncertainty there as well. And that's what Benjamin Gompertz taught us to be able to rigorously write down models for what those probabilities are. Well, let's dive into chapter number three. And this is an area where I guess it depends which article you read. When the word annuity is brought up, it seems like people have a love-hate relationship with them. Some people think they're not worth it. Some people think they're the best thing. What do you think about pension annuities and are they worth it? I'm not quite sure why there's such a negative connotation with that word annuity. I mean, for hundreds of years, these instruments have been around. They're the foundation of pensions. I mean, every defined benefit pension, which people seem to like, they certainly miss when they're shut down. The foundation of those things are annuities. So I'm not quite sure I understand why there's such negative connotation about that word. I think that annuities, if used certainly properly, meaning that they're sold appropriately to people that actually need an annuity, I think they make perfect sense at retirement and before retirement. If anything, given the fact that defined benefit pensions are going away or certainly being reduced in coverage, a lot of states are talking about shutting down their pension plans to new state employees, let alone corporations that have long begun shutting them or freezing them. I think annuities are going to start to become a lot more important in the retirement menu than they are today. And even today they're important, but they're going to continue to become more important, which is why I gave it one of the seven slots in terms of this book. I think it's very important that people understand how annuities work, what they cost, where you can buy them, and more importantly, what role they play in the retirement portfolio. And obviously, working through this material, it's great to sit down with an advisor that you have trust and confidence in to try and pick what is the best fit for me. 
sure. You know, I joke when I talk to people, you definitely need a financial advisor to help you with this, or if not, then perhaps you can find an astronomer that can help you. As I said earlier, Edmund Haley, the famous astronomer, was the first person to actually price an annuity, so if you can't find a financial advisor you like, maybe you can find an astronomer that'll help you through it. But you need assistance. Sounds like you're shooting for the moon there. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> Moshe, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, let's cover the last four of your seven most important equations for retirement, so please stay tuned. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer security and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. The purpose of this message is to stop your heart for just a few seconds. If you weren't here, what would happen to your family? Would there be enough money for them to have the kind of life you want them to? People with life insurance know the answer. Life insurance isn't for the people who die. It's for the people who live. A reminder from the Life and Health Insurance Foundation for Education, a nonprofit organization. Welcome back as we continue our fabulous conversation today with Moshe Malevsky, which is a Ph.D., a tenured professor in the Department of Finance and a member of the graduate faculty of mathematics at York University in Toronto. And we're talking about your book that you recently wrote, The Seven Most Important Equations for Your Retirement. And, of course, we covered the first three prior to the break. Let's dive right into number four, which is what is a proper spending rate? I think we all need a little counsel on this. Sure, the key figure there, and of course the issue at hand, is how much do you withdraw from your portfolio? It can be almost a terrifying decision. You've stopped working, you may be getting a small pension from work, perhaps you've started Social Security, but you're relying on your nest egg to fund the rest. And the issue is how much can you afford to withdraw from that nest egg? How much can you afford to pull out? Some people must have heard of the 4% rule or the 4.5% rule, which says that you should withdraw 4% of your nest egg each year and adjust for inflation. There's debate as to whether that's a valid approach. If you actually sit down and look carefully and ask yourself, okay, who's the first person that actually computed sustainable spending rates and what do they depend on? The hero there would be Irving Fisher, very famous American economist was a professor at Yale. Unfortunately, his legacy was tarnished by his horrendous prediction about the stock market in late 1928 and early 1929. He was extremely bullish just when the market was literally falling apart. He was actually interviewed in the New York Times one day before the crash of 1929, and he said, I'm buying, I'm very bullish. He leveraged himself into the stock market. Of course, his portfolio was ruined. He actually had to sell his house. He had a huge leverage position he never recovered from, and he was very wealthy before. So financially, the stock market ruined him. But as an economist, his legacy is pristine. He helped us understand retirement spending rates, and he really deserves a lot of credit for shedding light on what drives spending rates. And that's what I talk about in that chapter. 
They always talk about, too, the sequence of events, and I think a lot of Americans are ill-prepared for that. And I can't imagine anybody doing that planning alone today when they don't have the tools and resources that their financial advisor can have to help them prepare and plan. Because I think that gets into the next chapter, and that is how much in risky stocks versus safe cash. And right now, if someone's invested in safe cash at 0.69 or 1%, you have to have a whole lot of money to replace income at those rates. Yeah, it's quite the quandary, because on the one hand, as you pointed out, interest rates right now are abnormally low, and the number that you quoted is a nominal rate. That's before you factor in inflation, let alone income taxes, where the number there might actually be negative when you finish subtracting those things. So that's a horrible place to be in. Your money is shrinking in real terms. At the other extreme, you have money in the stock market that's extremely volatile. From one day to the next, you may be up or down 2 or 3%, let alone over the course of the month. How do you find the happy medium between these two? And historically, the financial planning industry and the investment industry has counseled people that if they had enough time, if they have a long time horizon, then they should be okay in the stock market because in the long run, stocks should outperform cash. But here we are after a period of 10 or 15 years, and we still haven't seen that outperformance in nominal terms, let alone in real terms. And the insight in chapter number five, Paul Samuelson's chapter, is that really time isn't what determines your asset allocation. It's your job that should determine your asset allocation. If you have a steady, safe, guaranteed, secure job, think of a teacher or a fireman or a police officer, someone with seniority, if their job, if their human capital is very safe, they can afford to take on risk in their financial capital and they can afford to take on risk in the stock market. Vice versa, people that work in the financial services industry, their income, their wage, their livelihood is tied to the economy and the financial markets. They should probably dial down on the risk and have less of it, regardless of how long they have until retirement, perhaps even regardless of risk tolerance. It's the job that matters. And Paul Samuelson's insight is that you have to take a look at the entire personal balance sheet, not just the financial capital when you're doing asset allocation. And that's why he gets one of these seven slots in the book. Let's expand on that just a little bit, Moshe, because I don't know if our listeners have ever heard that concept, and I know the first time I heard the concept was hearing you speak. It was really a eye-opener because most of us do not value what our human capital is, and I think that's nowhere better illustrated. We've had the president of Limron talking about the crisis in America and how much life insurance people have, and it's amazing the financial crisis that's created if a main breadwinner dies and they're sitting with fifty dollars or $100,000 of insurance, and they might have a human capital when you look at their future wages and everything else. And I know you've talked about numbers of what that's worth, especially young in their career. It gets to be some pretty staggering numbers, right? It does. It can be in the millions, really, what it's worth. And that actually dovetails nicely into the sixth equation and the work of Solomon Hubner, because he was actually the first insurance theorist. He was a professor of insurance at Wharton who emphasized the value of human life from an insurance perspective, human life value. Up until his time, the purchase of insurance was kind of ad hoc, arbitrary. You either had some or you didn't. And what he did, and he worked very hard at around the world, is getting people to appreciate what it's worth and, more importantly, 
ultimately what is lost when you lose the breadwinner. And I think that that's something that we have to get people to understand. The value of human capital must be insured and must be taken into account when you're doing asset allocation. So in my mind, Chapter 5 and Chapter 6, Paul Samuelson and Solomon Hubner go together very nicely. Paul Samuelson is telling us, you make sure that you understand the value and riskiness of your human capital before you do investment decisions. And Solomon Hubner is saying, look, you better make sure that you've insured your human capital if you have dependents and you have loved ones that are depending on you for an income. And that wouldn't just be life insurance. That would be disability insurance. It would be critical illness insurance, perhaps even unemployment insurance. The importance of insurance in the portfolio. People understand that they should have some value stocks and growth stocks and domestic and international and stocks and bonds. People understand the concept of diversification when it comes to portfolio building. What they don't appreciate as much is the concept of diversification when it comes to products like insurance. You have to have a portfolio of products, and that's going to be just as important as the portfolio of investments. And what you say, I don't know if the listeners would have caught that, but when you're investing in a diversified portfolio, nobody takes into consideration their current job situation. And I think you're the first person I ever heard that talked about that is your investment portfolio should take into consideration how risky or solid your earning potential is and building a diversified portfolio. Most people just look at, okay, my portfolio is 50-50 stocks and bonds, and they're not putting any consideration to the risk that's involved in their paychecks. And I think that's really important. And that's why working with a professional that can help you determine all these risks and mitigate them is going to help you on that road to a more secure future without taking unnecessary risks and putting too much risk in if you're in a risky position. Absolutely. In fact, I think that financial advisors that latch onto this idea will have a competitive advantage relative to the rest of the advisors in the universe. I mean, the sooner people latch onto this idea and financial advisors start to apply this thinking that asset allocation should depend on human capital, the better position they're going to be in terms of getting more clients and doing well for their clients. People that are doing asset allocation in the old style way, where you just look at a 401k or an IRA and say, gee, how much should I have here? How much should I have there? And are ignoring the human capital capital are really doing people a disservice. And the sooner people get into thinking that way, the better. We touched a little bit on Chapter 6, and I wonder if we could dive a little deeper, because if I'm fortunate enough to have my money outlast me, let's talk a little bit more about your financial legacy and what you're leaving behind. Here's one of the things that kind of caused me to think about this carefully and dig into the work of Solomon Hubner. I see a lot of people, I've been in focus groups, and I've certainly talked to a lot of individuals that are in or near retirement, and they seem to have a pot of money that is dedicated to the next generation. This is going to go to the kids, or, oh, no, no, that's going to go to the grandkids, or I want to make sure I have $100,000 for the grandkids when I pass on. And that's all nice, but I often ask them, do you know there might be more efficient ways to actually get that money to the grandkids, especially on an after-tax basis? Do you know what that's costing you in present value terms? Do you know how much that actually reduces your current standard of living? Pricing out legacy is something that people haven't quite done yet, and I think that's a very important component of retirement planning. What does your current plan cost you on a present value basis? And are there more efficient ways of doing this? Is something that people have to think through in retirement. And that's where Solomon Hubner really comes in very clear because he helped us understand that thinking process. Can you maybe explain a little bit? I mean, you talk about that. What's the present value of your legacy planning? Can you kind of give an example of how that might work? 
you know, there are certain situations where someone has a sum of money. It's sitting in a bank deposit. They're living off the interest, and the principal is dedicated to the kids. They want the son to get the money, or they want the daughter to get the money. And that's great, and that's very noble. But what people don't understand is that the present value cost of that can be very, very high. And in some cases, they can't afford to have that legacy. It's going to come at a real expense in terms of their current standard of living. In other cases, they have a life insurance policy that's fully paid up, and they think, well, that's something that can go to the next generation. But in many cases, it's going to reduce their current standard of living. They might be better off selling the insurance policy or perhaps getting its cash surrender value or maybe exchanging it into an annuity in a tax-efficient way. Thinking carefully about legacy around retirement, I think, is a very, very important conversation to have. It's not a very pleasant conversation, and you have to reach a certain stage in life where you can actually afford to be able to think that way. But it's a very important component. How exactly do you plan to leave this to your heirs, and what's the most efficient way of doing it? One thing I always counsel clients on, and that is, you can't have sacred cows. When you purchase an asset, whether it's life insurance or a stock or a bond, At the time that you do it, that might be completely appropriate. But as things change and your goals change, you want to look at those assets based on where you're going, not where you've been. And I think a lot of times people make the mistake of just settling in what they did 10 years ago. I think you bring to that point, it's important to look at everything and how it coordinates with your overall goals, whether it's legacy or current income. Let's finish out with Chapter 7, and that is, is my current plan sustainable? How do you determine that? So Chapter 7 kind of brings it all together. Chapter 7 really is about bringing in the six different equations and putting them all together to get one summary number of your financial health. When you go to the doctor, there are various numbers that they look at, blood pressure, cholesterol, how heavy are you, so on and so forth. There's these summary numbers that tell us a lot about your health. When it comes to financial health, there's a summary number, which is just as important, and that is, is your plan sustainable? Tell us what you hope to achieve in retirement. Tell us what you've accumulated now. Tell us your asset allocation. Tell us what you do for a living. And there's a summary number that comes out. It's a sustainability measure. It's a probability that you'll be able to achieve your goals. That probability number, which we want to be very high, I want a 95% success rate or a 97% success rate, that number can be traced to the work of the mathematician Andrei Kolmogorov. He really set the stage for the calculations that we do today. Anytime a financial advisor runs a Monte Carlo analysis or calculating a sequence of returns or doing any sort of probabilistic analysis, what are the odds this will or will not happen? He's got to give thanks to Andrei Kolmogorov, who was a very well-known Russian mathematician. He's almost a hero in the ex-Soviet Union, and he set the foundation for modern probability theory, and his equation is just as important as the other six. I think going Another thing we can sum up is, with everything you've said, just don't go it alone. Sit down with a professional, take a good peruse through your book, which if you could give our listeners an opportunity to share with where they can obtain it. Sure. So the name of the book is called The Seven Most Important Equations for Your Retirement. The subtitle is The Fascinating People and Ideas Behind Planning Retirement Income. This book is available for sale in all major bookstores, but I'm sure that Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and the various websites that sell books have it as well and goes into much more depth some of the things that we just discussed over the last half hour. I think what's so powerful is we can learn from history that some of these folks that you quoted today are, of course, from many hundreds of years ago, and they still can apply today. 
Jason, I think what's also interesting to see is that people struggled with these issues for a very long time, and there's been a lot of thought that's gone into it. And sometimes a biography helps you appreciate some of the underlying mathematics and the numbers a lot better. I find a lot of people have an aversion to mathematics or an aversion to equations, or they just hate dealing with money. And sometimes reading a biography of seven people and the work that they did in the field helps people understand some of these calculations. So I like to think of it as learning by osmosis, where you just sit and read about this and you absorb this material without knowing it. No question. Absolutely fascinating conversation today. We wish we had more time. We appreciate that and make sure all the listeners, again, take advantage of checking out that book. We greatly appreciate your time today and look forward to visiting with you again in the future. Thanks for joining us this week and tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your Real Wealth Advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer security and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and have a wonderful week.